welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. I'm your host, Colleen Deli. It's no secret that Pope Francis has faced opposition during his pontificate. Some of it has been the healthy disagreement that he's called for, but some of it's been more serious, what author Christopher Lamb calls guerrilla attacks on the Pope, which are often publicized by well-financed media outlets who are opposed to Francis. Chris joins me today from London to discuss this opposition, which he examines in his new book, The Outsider, out now from Orbis Books. He is also the Vatican correspondent for the UK Catholic magazine, The Tablet, and has been covering the Francis pontificate for the last five years. Chris, congratulations on the book and welcome to Inside the Vatican. Thank you very much. And and thank you for having me on your fantastic podcast. (laughs) Thank you for your kind words about it. So you're calling us uh, from London, right? How's how's the family doing? How are you doing? Oh, we're surviving and uh, trying to uh, adjust to the new normal of, uh, of lockdown. Mm-hmm. tough at times but uh it's it, we're trying to find the benefits as well yes so we we might hear your family in the background a little bit so all right chris before we get into this opposition to francis i wanted to ask you about your general view of his papacy um the bbc documentary which is also called inside the vatican a good name uh just came out in the u.s on pbs and In it, you offer um, a pretty bold quote right at the beginning. You say, Pope Francis is not a liberal, he's not a conservative, he's a radical. And I wanted to start with that. What did you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that uh, the Pope can't be put into a kind of political box. Um, He's someone who I think does try to live out uh, the gospel um, in uh, in his life and in his ministry, tries to offer a gospel-based uh, leadership and and that is uh, by its nature radical because he's is trying to um, live out the the um, the evangelical commandments and so that's why I say he's not a, a liberal or a conservative but but a radical and of course for conservatives he's far too liberal but then for the liberals he's he's too conservative he's a both and you know, an old-fashioned Jesuit superior. You know, on the one hand, he'll he'll open up the uh, the doors of the Vatican to the homeless, and the next minute, he's writing down his problems and putting them under a, a sleeping statue of Saint Joseph. So it's that mixture of popular piety and and mission to the to the marginalised. Right, and I I appreciate that in the book you kind of get into the fact that there is opposition to Francis from both sides. There are certainly people who are more progressive-minded who have issues with Pope Francis because they believe that he's not moving the church fast enough in certain ways. Um, so let's let's get into this opposition. Um, you know, Francis, as I mentioned in the introduction to this show, uh, he's, he's signaled before that he's open to healthy disagreement. He thinks that that makes for a healthier church. Um, and I'm wondering if you could talk about maybe the difference between that and what you call these guerrilla-style attacks. What are some examples of those? Well, that's right. Of course, every... Um Pope has faced uh, criticism and disagreement, and that's normal in the church. And Pope Francis has said he welcomes uh, criticism, uh, but he's also warned against the what he calls the the, the under the table uh, knifings or the the arsenic pills, uh, the attacks. And I think we have seen that uh, in this pontificate in an unprecedented way. We only need to look at the uh, dossier released by Archbishop. Carlo Maria Vigano, the former papal ambassador of the United States, who called on the Pope to resign. I mean, that is just you know, unprecedented. Um, and what we're seeing there is, is not a disagreement with Francis, but an attempt to thwart or 
in the Archbishop Vigano's case to try and remove the Pope. And I think that is why I call it guerrilla style warfare, because they're not the people who are engaging in this, they're not trying to sit down with the Pope and hash out their 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 problems. They are involved in an attempt to um, re, you know, undermine Francis to the point of thwarting him, getting his pontificate um, to be judged as, as, as a failure. And they're doing that because they reject this Pope. Some of them reject the legitimacy of the election of, of, of Francis. Um, so that's quite different from having a disagreement. And that's why um, I have presented it um, as uh, the guerrilla warfare. And I um, itemize some of these critiques and attacks in the book. Right. You you lay these out in a very helpful um, timeline that I'm sure that I'm probably going to end up referencing in some of my reporting later on. But you lay out a timeline of like more than 100 of these incidents. I want to I want to ask you a little bit more about what you said about this being unprecedented. You know, I have a lot of conversations about this with my fiance, who's a medievalist. And so he's always gotten his mind like the having on papacy, the three popes at the same time. Um, and and so when I hear that this is unprecedented, part of me is like, well, is it unprecedented in in, in recent history? Like, how do you how do you contextualize this? Because I think for you and I, especially like we're people who have been focused on the Vatican primarily during the Francis pontificate. Um, so how would you respond to that? Yeah, sure. I, I think obviously there will be examples where popes were, um, you know, deposed and um, uh, attacked in, in, in ways that, you know, were very um, dramatic. The reason why I say it's kind of unprecedented in, in I'd say in living memory or in, in for, for many, many years, um, is because you know whilst you saw let's say under Pope Paul VI there were some pretty dramatic um, challenges to, to to his authority. What the, the thing with Francis that's different is this kind of rejection of the, the, the rejection of Francis to to act as the Pope, the rejection of him to teach, the rejection of, of, of him to lead. And you know, for example, when Francis tried to or did um, change the church's uh, catechism on the death penalty you saw just a total rejection of his uh, ability to do that you also say you can't do that and i think that's why I, I say it has got this unprecedented feel to it because it's just a total questioning of whether francis can be uh, the pope and that and that's why that, that's why i think the story in some ways of this pontificate is it's the the, the gospel based leadership um, facing uh, incredible challenges and tensions, and that's why I think that that to me is the story um, of of Francis and and uh, what he is trying to do. Right, you lay out the book; uh, it's interspersed with quotes from the gospel about about Jesus facing off with different groups. You you make that uh, that parallel that you see very very explicit in the book. One thing that seems unique about opposition to Francis is that some of it is very well financed. So I want to talk to you about the role of money in this. Um, you know, is it is it the case that that money plays a big role in opposition to Francis? And if so, like who are who are the big players involved? Well I think that money has played a, a part here because we have seen um, wealthy donors uh, cut off funding um, 
to the Vatican. Um, we've seen um, very wealthy individuals who have um, decided that you know this pope really is not uh, for them, and therefore they have got behind a number of uh, of the attacks. And we saw with Archbishop uh, Vigano after his dossier was released, um, wealthy donors getting behind that. Uh, that that attempt by Archbishop Vigano, which to to effectively remove Francis um, Tim Bush of the Napa Institute, has been a big supporter of of Archbishop, Archbishop Vigano, and he's obviously a major donor, a board member of EWTN, the uh, the the major uh, Catholic media outlet of the English speaking world, if not the biggest. Um, so we we have seen a connection between. The donors of the church, um, or in in some parts of the world, supporting the platforms which have pushed forward this guerrilla style warfare within the Catholic media. Yeah, it, it you know there's a it seems like there's a very explicit link between um, the the money question and that money going into media operations specifically, which uh, leads me into another question, which is you know I've heard people say that that. Um, these critics of Francis, especially the ones who are, you know, a little bit more intense in their criticism, more interested in what you would call like guerrilla style attacks, that they're small in number, but that they're able to amplify their voices in such a way that that it makes them seem like they're more numerous than they actually are. Would would you say that that's true, or do you think that maybe there is like a, a real wave of opposition to Francis here? Well, that's right, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to um, write this book because what's happened is. There's been a kind of uh, a skewering of the debate. People have tried to present this idea that there's oh, 50% of the church are for Pope Francis and 50% are against. And I think that is just simply untrue. If you look at all the polling data, if you speak anecdotally to the Catholics who, who turn up to Mass on Sunday, the majority support Francis. They, they, they're with the Pope. Uh, so there's this big disconnect between the people of God and the uh, elites of the clerical and worldly establishment, but the latter have tried to, as, as I say, skew the narrative uh, to present some kind of groundswell of opposition to, to the Pope. But there, there, are, there isn't. I think the, the evidence is that the majority of, of Catholics um, are excited and animated by the leadership of Francis and Many people outside the church are, are very inspired by him. He's not just a leader for Catholics, he's a leader for the world and a leader for, for uh, all Christians. There's huge numbers of uh, Christians outside of the Catholic church who really uh, follow the leadership of, of the Pope. Yeah, and we've seen him you know, work with uh, Muslim leaders. I think of the Human Fraternity document that he signed with the um, Sheikh of Al-Azhar. Like, there's he's always had tight connections with the Jewish community. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of widespread support for Francis among different religions. Um, I think that we should actually go really basic here. So what, what are some of the things about Francis that have kind of sparked this very adamant opposition? Is it just his pastoral style? Is it his politics? What do you think it is about Francis that that uh, sparks these kinds of things. Well, I think it's his challenge to the church, and it's it is very basic in the sense that the desire to try and um, renew 
the church in the spirit of the gospel, but also St. Francis of Assisi, who the Pope took as his um, as his namesake, the first time a Pope has ever taken that title. Uh, it's that simple returning to the roots of the gospel, which is what I would argue the church uh, needs and something that Second Vatican Council sought to, to bring about. Uh, but because Francis um, challenges people, I think that is where he gets the resistance. And I write in the book that it's his the early morning uh, homilies and the masses in 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 his in his uh, residence in the chapel in the, ca- the Casa Santa Marta, where he he kind of speaks off the cuff um, a, a, a reflection on the gospel of the day. And and when he he preaches those homilies, he's often quite critical of the religious establishment in the same way, of course, that that Jesus was was critical of the religious establishment. He and the Pope is reading the Gospels and applying them to the to the church today. And uh that can be something that, that a lot of people find um quite quite difficult. And he's um been very critical of the rigid Catholics he's talked about mm-hmm. uh, or people who've tried to turn the the faith into an ideology. Um and and I think people find it quite difficult with the Pope, who is w- willing to be unpredictable, willing to bypass the protocols. Um, I think in the Roman Curia, they were very un- nervous at first about a Pope who was going to give a homily every day um, off the cuff without it being scripted. Mm-hmm. And so I think some people in the church, they're kind of, say, the professionals, um, you know, wake up each morning and find there's Pope Francis. He's again. He's uh, he's gone off and challenged some part of the um, the church, or he's he's a, he's critiqued someone else. And I think that's been very uncomfortable for for, for lots of people. Mm-hmm. But he's really trying to make the church, I think, go back to the gospel. And of course, you know that that's not always very comfortable. No. Um. One thing that I also appreciate in this book is. You know, while you're clearly sympathetic to Francis, you don't shy away from critiquing him either. Like you acknowledged, for example, when he went to Chile and he dismissed the concerns of abuse survivors as calumny, right? You you admit that he made the wrong call and then he later made an effort to rectify this. He sent Archbishop Shakluna to uh, look into these cases. He brought the survivors to his residence to listen to them and then ultimately called the Chilean bishops to Rome, which led to this you know, astounding group resignation of the Chilean bishops. Um, but that initial mistake that he made, you tied to Francis's governance style. And I, I wanted to ask you about that. What what about his governance style is different from previous popes? And, and how did that play out in this Chile case? Well, I think um, the pope's governance style, which can be personalist, quite uh, times informal, is often b- bypassing some of the the traditional structures around the papacy, the, some of the checks and balances that have been there before. I think that that style has, has created a lot of admirers. It's been has made them very popular, but I think the uh, the difficulty when it comes to abuse is that we know that when you deal with these cases, you have to have clear structures and guidelines, and I think. That's where the, the problem with with um, some of the handling of cases has come, and particularly with Chile, because of course all these cases end up on the Pope's desk, and you know that there needs to be, I think, a, a way of of handling the cases that is not just you know 
purely subjective judgments of the of the Pope, and it needs to also be um, procedures around the cases. And I think as soon as the Pope sent Archbishop Shikluna to investigate in Chile, he got some good information and he made the right decisions. And he has been the first to admit his mistakes, and I think that was very important. Um, he's spent a lot of time with abuse survivors, which I think has uh, helped heal uh, a lot of the the, the problems. Um, but I do think he made mistakes um, over abuse, and, I, and, I, and I've written that. But what I think is remarkable is that Francis doesn't expect or doesn't act like a pope who, you know, wants the world to think that he's somehow totally perfect. I mean, he, you know, he was asked in the first interview, how do you describe yourself? Who is Jorge Bergoglio? He said, I am a sinner. And that, that, that was kind of remarkable. But again, I think you see that gospel humility. And of course, I think we need to recognize where the Pope has gone wrong, that the Pope is not perfect, that there are things, more things to do. But at the, the bottom line is he's offering that leadership, um, which the world, I think, needs today. And so, you know, he's, he's moved the papacy away from a model where the Pope reigned and he could do no wrong to a model of ministry, a servant leadership, where, you know, he's trying to connect the faith with ordinary people, but also willing to admit where there have been mistakes. Chris, one last question for you. Um, what would you say to, you know, maybe an ordinary Catholic who who might be a little bit confused as they see uh, news come in from, from both sides of this debate, some of it very, very critical of Francis, some of it saying it's very gospel-oriented, uh, and both of which seem to have some, some pretty uh, influential figures behind them. What would you say to a Catholic trying to navigate that media landscape? Well, I think people need to remember that the Pope is, I believe, a man of, of integrity who stands with the marginalized and the forgotten. I call him the outsider pope because he's associated his papacy with the outsiders, the refugees, the forgotten people. Uh, and I think, I hope particularly young Catholics who um, who, are, who often ap- appreciate the church's social mission, the church's desire for justice, I hope they will see that Pope Francis is someone who is totally... Um, in lockstep with that desire. He, as I say, he is a man of integrity. I've write a bit about how he goes about his, his day. He wakes up each morning at 4.30 a.m. to pray for two hours um, to try and discern the way forward um, in the various problems that he's facing. So, of course, there'll be people with various views that are trying to uh, present different opinions about about Francis, but I think if you break it down, that that's where I think he stands. And I think people people should remember that that he's uh, he is, uh, I, I believe, a, a man of integrity. Chris Lamb is the Vatican correspondent for the Tablet Magazine. His new book, The Outsider, Pope Francis and His Battle to Reform the Church, is out now from Orbis Books. Chris, thanks so much for joining us and congrats again on the book. Thank you very much for having me. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. 
Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I. For America Media, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.